Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined by Ian Harditz, and hopefully still, still energetically John Daigle. Is it true, Daigsy? Still energetic? Uh, just barely these days. Yeah? <laughs> Hanging on by three energetically. There's some, there's some things going on behind the scenes that uh, we'll probably discuss later that make it more energetically. I think things are slowly coming together here. For both us for, as a trio or for like World, for humanity as, as a whole? For Roto World, for life, for humanity, there's a big project going on that I'm, that I'm slowly piecing together okay. that I think is going to spread some good. Ian Harditz, how are you, my brother? Great day to be great as always, Josh. Did you re-up on Bailey's at least? <laughs> I did. I See, that's good. why I, it's a great day to be great. I even got the uh, cherry flavor one, which if you haven't tried, a, ooh, I didn't even know that existed. Yep. We even got a like peek through the keyhole of the life of Ian Harditz. You were, you blessed us enough with a tweet of your shopping cart that I'm gonna guess is at a stop and shop. M- maybe I guess correctly uh, of of a Walmart. Even better of just your haul. And I would say maybe for the next week or two weeks. And I, I dug into this a little bit, Ian. Ho- hopefully you will stay with me through this entire charade, but. It includes a shopping cart full of Lucky Charms, double espresso shot, Starbucks, uh, pasta, popcorn, probably some frozen foods there at the bottom, obviously Coke and and some toilet paper. Ian, I don't see anything green. There wasn't anything green in that entire shopping cart. I'm, I'm a fruit. I'm down with fruit, but vegetables, I don't need them. Who needs vegetables? You know, just give me some meat or something like that. <laughs> you're, but. you're such like an 11-year-old. I don't get it. <laughs> At all. Well, here's the funny. I only took the picture because I found toilet paper and I was happy about that and, you know, decided to tweet it out because why not? And yeah, the two main things were one, nice call and lucky charms and two, why was I sitting in a beauty aisle? So I've learned when, I, when I'm waiting for my lovely girlfriend to get done with her shopping, I need the next time, you know, if, work on my selfie game, taking it, you know, in a maybe more like hunting aisle or something. If you need anything, you know, I can just launch flushable wipes across the Marriott Hotel to your apartment. <laughs> just let me know. I can help you out. That's what this time is. It's help us helping each other out or trying to may, maybe divert towards the produce aisle. Like some broccoli wouldn't hurt you, Ian. Right. It tastes terrible. No. I disagree. Broccoli, like I think e- it's so even good. if you cook broccoli and just put like a whole bunch of cheese on there, that's still eating broccoli. That still counts. I'm, I like cheese. I'll have that with like pretzels or something. Just not broccoli. <laughs> thank, thank you for blessing us with that. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So today, we are going to kick the news down the street later on this week with Patrick Doherty. That's going to be his segment from here on out uh, every Thursday slash Friday. You all loved our pre-free agency draft so much that we thought we would bring it back with kind of a a post-free agency draft. This is going to be a a simple premise that the three of us can take anywhere. The premise being our favorite moves of the offseason. That's it. Again, Dago's going to interpret that differently than I interpret it, than Ian does. And we're going to have 10 things at the end of this, 10 statements at the end. Each of us are going to draft snake style. So when one goes off the list, boom, that cannot be said by another person. So again, we'll have 10 at the end of this. I do not know what Ian's going to say. I do not know what Dago's going to say, so on and so forth. So this should be fun. Ian Harditz, you drew that number one pick. Why don't you kick us off? Number one, I'm going with the Falcons signing Dante Fowler to a three-year deal worth up to $48 million. Uh, one of our previous podcasts, offseason, we were talking about who could kind of be the Shaq Barrett, kind of under-the-radar, big-time difference maker. And I called out Fowler, and I, I stand by that. I just think this is a guy that throughout his entire football career has been one of these elite, twitchy, edge defenders. He hasn't quite put it all together, but even last year with the Rams, you know, obviously playing next to Aaron Donald and those guys helped, but he was still a top-12 edge defender in – total pressures. Maybe he wasn't as efficient as your Khalil Max and all that, but we see enough flashes there to know he can be an elite performer at the NFL level. And the Falcons got him for, I don't think, an egregious deal. I mean, three years. They're, they're still in a win-now window. I'm not saying their roster is ready to win now. I wouldn't put them as a favorite, but when you're paying Matt Ryan this much money, you, you need to try to win every single year. And their defense, really, during the entire Matt Ryan tenure, has never been anything really even close to average. So adding a big-time difference maker like Fowler, I think it could help uh, to Karis McKinley, one of his last years uh, potentially in Atlanta. It's a big-time piece. It's kind of a splash play, but I think in the position the Falcons are in, like they need to make splash signings because, again, they're not in any type of situation where they can look to rebuild. Of, of the seven or eight moves I wrote down, Daigle, this was not on my list. Was it on yours? It was not. I, I don't want that to seem like – I'm bullying Ian. Like it, it is a good move. <laughs> I just, I just think I may have missed that one. Also, we're considering that, like you consider that the number one transaction of, of the offseason. Off season. Not, 
I wasn't really ranking it as number one. Okay. I like it. It's, it's, but it's your favorite. I think calling adding Fowler to a defense big time is maybe overstating what he brings to a team. I, and I understand this. I mean, he he's, was a top 10 pick coming out of college, out of Florida. Then in Jacksonville, you know, Yannick Ngakwe outplayed him. I think he obviously performed quite well with the Rams, what, this past two seasons. This Falcons team was so far behind last year. Like, they were one of the worst units in the NFL. You know, the previous year, it was all because of injuries. Well, injuries weren't the case last year. And I I understand it from that spot. But, you know, this isn't adding, like, a piece like Clowney to it, you know? It's it's someone on the level of Dante Fowler who, taking the burden off Grady Jarrett, who's one of the best defensive players in the league, that's always a positive. But I'm not sure if I'm quite there with you on Fowler's individual talent. In a microcosm, though, speaking strictly in terms of fantasy, it's good because he's such a talented player that his pass rush alone will allow us to sometimes play Falcons defense in high-scoring affairs because, let's be honest, this team is still going to play from behind a lot and be throwing a lot still. Hmm. Ian, let me ask you this. Because this NFC South obviously is a quarterback division now with Tom Brady in the fold. But how would you rank the defenses? Because – the New Orleans Saints, I think, would be an easy number one. But out of that bottom three in the NFC South, with the Bucks, with the Falcons, and with the Panthers, where would you put the Falcons in that order? I probably third. Okay. At this After point, the Bucks? I, mean, I think the no, I think the Panthers are easily the worst defense in the NFC. That's South. what I mean. That's what I mean. So, so the Bucks would be second. I think the, the Bucks challenge the Saints too. I don't. Bucks I wouldn't really. Just, second half of last season, Bucks came yeah, up. Yeah, I wouldn't time. just give I mean, it to the Saints. I was surprised. I was doing some uh, cornerback rankings uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm like, Carlton Davis and a couple of those younger guys they've had coming up. No, they're not world beaters just yet, but I think, uh, you know, it wasn't the easiest defense to be playing in as a cornerback because of how much they kind of sold out to stop the run on a game-by-game basis. But they started to kind of put it together in the second half. So, you know, we always talk about defenses. They aren't especially great defenses year to year. They aren't as consistent as uh, offenses can be. But, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked that the Bucs actually have a – above average defense really again uh in 2020 but uh, yeah i think saints right now are still far and ahead above everyone else we forget how huge that davenport injury was in yep. week tw- 12 or 13 or wherever it was kind of going into the playoffs they just didn't have that piece but a full health saints are scary low-key this falcons secondary is going through some change with desmond trufant out obviously isaiah oliver was a second round pick in 2018, Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, and DeMonte Casey are a fun, like, kind of safety trio. But their cornerback slot is, is an interesting storyline to follow as we approach the draft. All right, Daigle, hit us with number two. I think number two should be number one. And I know we've talked about it extensively already, but the biggest sign in the offseason was Tom Brady lashing on to the Bucks. Yes. There are question marks. It's, you know, it's not exactly a shoe-in. I know we attribute his poor uh, yards per attempt last year, 6.6, to a lacking surrounding cast. But this is uncharted territory. A 43-year-old now uh, attempting to lead a team to a Super Bowl win surrounded by some of the best weapons in the entire league. Like last we saw, 42-year-old Warren Moon in like 1998 through just over 200 passes, but that's the closest thing we have to an aging quarterback suddenly going into a new system. So who knows what's going to happen, but we talked about it extensively. Like I said, uh, it comes down to lack of turnovers and just a winning quarterback. And that's what Brady is in this system. So I just, yeah, outright, that's the number one transaction. The Bucks records the last few years, seven to nine, five and 11, five and 11, just one winning season from the Bucks 
since 2011. And Ian, you and I have had like a really good conversation, I think, about Tom Brady this this entire offseason. But just because I believe Brady adds like a significant amount to this Bucks team, that doesn't mean I think he's like peak Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like he, he has obviously declined. And but of all the quarterbacks that change teams this offseason or are open to changing teams this offseason, Tom Brady was clearly number one on that list. Yeah, it looks like Bruce Arians and Brady are being realistic about everything he just said. Like, he's not the same player, and that's okay. They're not going to ask him to go in there and throw downfield 40 times per game. I mean, this was some of the questions Arians was getting originally. Like, what's why do you have Brady here if you want to, you know, no risk and no biscuit all game? But what, what Arians said really stood out to me, and it was actually Tom Moore, his uh, offensive consultant, he used to be the Colts' uh, offensive coordinator, Peyton Manning. Basically, he said, you don't go broke putting money in the bank take the damn check down. So yep. Arians is coming around to the idea that, you know, you can throw, uh, throw shorter. And look, this has been what Breeze and the Saints have been doing for over a decade. Like the idea you need to be throwing the ball downfield as sexy as that is to us watching at home doesn't always correlate with being a great NFL offense. So I think the big concern that maybe myself and others were overstating early on was how is Brady going to be the same type of quarterback Winston was in this offense, but he's not going to be the same type of quarterback. He's going to be Tom Brady. And, you know, just compared, like we were talking about the defense, it's going to be between the Buccaneers and Saints uh, in this division. And I think it's safe to say if Jameis was under center, you know, we wouldn't have that same uh, takeaway. On those 16 plus yard throws, Tom Brady completed 40 of those last year. I I agree with you. And it's funny, there was a quote circulating this morning that I actually tweeted from Peter King's column and video from this past July that, Bruce Arians told Jameis Winston, hey, if you check it down instead of launching the ball 30 times in a season, that goes from 30 interceptions to 300 yards on 30 completions. And obviously, I mean, that was basically fortune telling from Bruce Arians. Ian, I I do want to say, since you went on a positive note, I'll say this on the negative note. There were two standout spots where I think Brady declined last year. Um, one was in the red zone. And I think that that naturally just gets better moving from the Patriots to the Bucks because you go from Mohamed Sanu and Julian Edelman and whoever else at tight end to now, obviously you have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and OJ Howard. So just the, the, the talent differential is going to help in the red zone, but obviously against pressure too. And for so many years in new England, they had one of the best, offensive lines that was not the case last year and some of that was the left tackle health and the center health and so on and so forth well he's going to a a, a team in the bucks that don't have you know premier talents along the offensive line maybe some really solid players so we're still going to see a lot of the quick game work but I would say I would not be surprised Ian if Tom Brady surprises you with his deep ball rate and completion percentage this year in that area too yeah, I don't think his deep ball was necessarily the problem last season. He's never really thrown deep with that much consistency, especially over the last kind of half decade or so. But, yeah, he was a top 15 quarterback in QB rating thrown deep. As, as you alluded to, the pressure is the issue because, you know, he has last year, I think him and Rodgers were just clearing away the top two quarterbacks in throwaways. You know, when guys get around his feet, it's been a problem. And I, I don't like to – I feel like setting pressure as a negative for a quarterback is kind of lazy because what quarterback – no quarterback is better – when they're being pressured and being hit. I mean, obviously that's going to make life tougher for anyone, but when I believe it was only Mitch Trubisky was the only quarterback worse than Brady and yours for a 10th under pressure, clearly not a positive. It is kind of funny that uh, Arians goes from no risk it, no biscuit to Jameis. And then the moment they even have a chance at getting Brady, his quotes are, no, it's okay. Just dump it off. Who cares? (laughs) All right. Moving on to number three, 
this one was right there with Tom Brady for me. And it's DeAndre Hopkins moving to the Arizona yeah. Cardinals. Obviously, Arizona traded David Johnson, a 2020 second round pick and a 2021 fourth round pick to get Nuke Hopkins in a 2020 fourth round pick. I mean, so basically, what did they give up? They gave up a running back they weren't going to use and then a second round selection this year. In fact, the offense was even better last year when Kenyon Drake immediately entered that offense in like the span of three days versus when David Johnson was on the field last year. Just to give up that small amount, it's so rare to add a special talent without that first round draft capital. So now you have this offense in Arizona with Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, DJ Humphreys at left tackle and a right tackle who they'll probably take in the top 10. That's a lot of resources injected into an offense. But really, when you think about a big picture, that's what this league is all about, right? It's creating an offense that puts the opponent down on the scoreboard. And then when you're in a negative game script, an offense that has the potential to put up 21 points on the board in a single quarter. And Dago, I, I think the Cardinals have been able to build that in just one offseason. Again, I, I don't know if it directly impacts Hopkins' personal impact on the field immediately. Like perhaps his production, his standalone value falters a little bit. But overall, it just makes the offense so much better, even logically, to add a receiver of his caliber um, for a team that just lacks any playmakers whatsoever. Like Larry Fitzgerald is arguably the most skilled or the most consistent receiver in league history over time but that has still fallen off dramatically even the last three years like his impact isn't being felt on the field anymore even though he looks healthy so yeah just just adding Hopkins logically to this offense is such a big takeaway and I had it um as my number two move actually on my list so I've been looking at the Hopkins trade because it's anytime there's a hundred percent unanimous like Bill <laughs> O'Brien's crazy I just want to see where the guy could potentially be coming from and I let me say first, I do think Kyler and Hopkins are going to form a fantastic connection, Arizona. With that said, 2019 wasn't the best version of DeAndre Hopkins we've ever seen, really by a long shot. I mean, it was the first season we really saw his average target depth like resemble more of a slot receiver than going downfield, which is fine. Michael Thomas was the best wide receiver in the league last year, and he only had eight targets go 20 plus yards downfield all season. But I mean, career low yards per reception for Hopkins, his yards per target was the lowest since the Brock Osweiler year. Entering probably a better overall offensive situation should calm those, but I do wonder if O'Brien, the Texans, kind of think maybe those days of Hopkins being a force at all three levels of the hmm. defense are over. The good news is I think even if he is at this point in his career more of a short area uh, receiver, which, again, I don't think is necessarily the case, but that should work just fine in Arizona with the amount of quick hitters that that offense kind of utilizes anyway. So I've said before, I think the offensive line, a little bit of an under, understated issue in Arizona, but it's hard not to call this, you know, if not the third, probably the best move of all free agency. Did you guys realize Deshaun Watson has just nine career dropbacks without DeAndre Hopkins in the lineup in his career so far? Like, so we're going to see a different Deshaun Watson on the field, potentially. I'm not saying from an individual talent perspective, but just from an offensive design perspective. I mean, Obviously, Bill O'Brien is, is giving away play-calling duties. In my opinion, that can only be a positive to whoever's taking that on because nothing was easy in that offense. Dave, I want to ask you this question, though, because from a team-building perspective, I, I wax poetic 
about how it's so great when you have this rookie star. And I mean star. There, there might not be a better talent at quarterback in the league right now other than Patrick Mahomes than Kyler Murray. Like, I, I think he's that special. But again, they're devoting so much, especially if they spend a top 10 pick on that right tackle. How are they going to build a defense? Because maybe the right way to build a defense, and if you take the Chiefs model, is to go out to such a big lead than to have like playmakers on defense that when another team is trying to catch up or slow them down, then you have like your Buda Bakers or your Patrick Petersons, or your Byron Murphys that can make those plays or Chandler Jones as well. But they're not going to be this complete defense that I think so many from the outside looking in want them to be. Right. And that's the thing. They have coverage in place, right? Just in having Patrick Peterson, who, yes, had a a poor down year, but perhaps he's in store for a bounce back. Who knows? And I think that's why they've been making splash signings in their front seven, just to present some element of the pass rush between Jordan Phillips, Devin Kernard, uh, Devondre Campbell, just uh, players like that, that can add some semblance of a threat once the quarterback holds the ball too long. Uh, which they didn't even have last year. So, yes, those aren't stars in the making, but I think that's how you make a defense around this offensive unit mm-hmm. is to basically build one that's league average but but can perform, especially in pass rushing, above expectation in the right matchup. I like that. Making plays when, like, uh, the opposing offense is trying to overextend to catch up. I think we're going to see that more and more often, especially defenses that are attached to these explosive offenses. All right, we're at the turn. We've gone through three. Let's go to number four. I'll stick at wide receiver. This is a theme. Stephon Diggs going to the Buffalo Bills. The Minnesota Vikings received, talk about a different compensation. I think it's, it's good value that they got for Diggs. This is quite different than the Texans. Because the Vikings got 2020 first-round pick, a fifth and sixth-round picks, and then a 2021 fourth-round selection. Um, the Bills entered the offseason with one of the highest cap figures in the league in, in terms of available room. But this move is one that I think can change them. And again, just a wide receiver out there who was willing to change teams did not have the talent equal to Stephon Diggs. I mean, this is a team we forget almost exactly a year ago tried to trade for Antonio Brown. That crumbled within 12 hours. So it's clear that they wanted to add more than just John Brown and Cole Beasley, who played admirably. But having now as your primary wide receiver in Stephon Diggs Sure, he's going to play with Josh Allen. Josh Allen is not accurate. I even love riding on that roller coaster, and I will tell you that Josh Allen is not accurate. But we've seen Diggs get emotional in the past and on social media because I think, Ian, he gets most frustrated when he gets open down the field and his quarterback is just unwilling to throw him the football or even target him in those areas. And that happened too often with the Vikings in his mind. That's not an issue, right, with, with Josh Allen. Like, he's willing to throw down the field. The question is just how accurate it's going to be when he throws down the field. Yeah, it's just wild, like, how good Diggs was last year and still just wasn't enough from him. I mean, he was easily the number one receiver in the league and yards gained on deep balls. I mean, the only guys that even matched his total have been Tyree Kill, Allen Robinson, back in that portals year, Calvin Johnson, and Jordy Nelson over the last 10 years. I and mean, this is a historically great field stretcher and now he's got a quarterback that literally can probably throw the ball out of the stadium now obviously Allen's arm strength and his ability to throw the ball deep are two entirely different conversations but again we saw how much better Allen got in year two when they added Smokey Brown when they added Cole Beasley we're all members of a John Brown fan club here I mean I do think he can be a team's number one wide receiver and a good passing offense with that said now he's your number two receiver I mean this is like when we talk about 
how great it'd be if T.Y. Hilton, Robbie Anderson, some of these guys could be complimentary pieces. Now John Brown's an overqualified number two. Beasley's an overqualified number three. It's, I think, clearly the top trio of wide receivers in the league, assuming like you're not like, you know, the Falcons, maybe Ridley, Julio, and Josh, you could say we're be- are better. But assuming we're not taking a zero on one of those positions, I think you now have the best wide receiver trio in the league. You wow. have two more years of this mini Super Bowl window with Josh Allen still on the rookie contract. They're going out and trying to do their thing. I love it. Again, for fantasy-wise, I think it takes away from John Brown, Dawson Knox, everyone involved. But overall, like, how can you not love Stephon Diggs in this offense? He was a player I was willing to bet on, even with Adam Thielen coming back in the Vikings offense. And I typically shy away from wide receivers changing offenses and just getting new playbooks as a whole the following year. But Diggs is easily one of the most talented receivers in the league. Uh, Next Gen Stats charted him with the third fewest yards given at cushion from the line of scrimmage and yet he still finished top 40 um, with two and a half yards at separation when targeted because he's one of the best at getting separation among cornerbacks and so that's a skill that the playbook doesn't even matter it should still resolve itself easily within the offense and again that might not lead to 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns but it just makes the offense and Josh Allen in particular better overall. I'm really in on the Buffalo Bills in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, like I understand if you watch Allen and like the details and like the drive to drive game point you to him not being a good quarterback. I understand that. But like the high variance of it and being attached to Brian Dayball, I'm not worried about it. I'm also not worried about this team as a whole because I think Sean McDermott locks down this defense. They add someone like Quentin Jefferson who can move inside in pass rushing situations. Then you have, along with Ed Oliver, then you have solid edge rushers and you added Mario Addison. I'm naming those because I don't think that you guys are going to on this list. Um, So Ian, let, let me ask you this question. Other than the Kansas City Chiefs and the Baltimore Ravens at the top of the AFC contenders as they were last year, is it crazy to put the Buffalo Bills third? Yeah, I think the Steelers are big Ben backer pretty sneaky complete but I'd put them probably fourth behind the Steelers I mean they don't have any holes really like Josh Allen is the biggest hole and again I don't I'm not I don't think he's this this awful quarterback you can't win games with they only lost one game last season by more than one score I mean even in the weeks where he wasn't you know you, you see some bad box score stats sometimes passing the ball but hey the things he can do run the ball he puts up points he keeps the offense moving more games than not they are very sneaky complete and they can contend you know you remove the Texans kind of as a threat just based on Bob's doing you assume that Belichick is going to have probably a step back here yeah this is the year to make a run for Buffalo and last point on Stefan Diggs because we have talked about you know he's been very vocal about his displeasure in the past his Twitter has gone from like daily wild kind of mysterious remarks about trades. So now he's like NFL analyst, Stefan Diggs. And it could not be more fun to see. He's asking like, who's the top he's happy. receiver. It's, he's happy. It's fun. It's fun having a happy Stefan Diggs on social media. Diggle, let me ask you the same question. Other than Chiefs and the Ravens, could you envision the Bills being third favorites for the AFC? Sure. It, it, the Steelers make a presentable argument. But again, like Ross Berger in his what? age 38 season, fresh off uh, shoulder surgery, that at least brings to light question marks. So yeah, why not the Bills? I'd at least like to see Josh Allen versus the Steelers defense, which stayed in place despite being a a top shelf unit and see where we go from there. Uh, 
Buffalo was the league's seventh most run-heavy team in 2019. I'll be fascinated to see if they do throw more often because the efficiency, as we discussed throughout the entire season, uh, just wasn't there last year. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, here are the four so far. Dante Fowler to Atlanta, Tom Brady to Tampa Bay, DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona, and Stephon Diggs to the Buffalo Bills. John Daigle, his number five. Get Mr. <clears throat> One-Year Stopgap himself, Philip Rivers, on the board. Ooh. Going to the Colts, the fifth best move of the offseason. Reportedly already knows 80% of his playbook, of the playbook stemming from his time with Frank Reich as the Chargers OC together. Uh, and yes, I understand, um, you know, poor, poor touchdown numbers last year, poor turnovers, uh, poor yards per attempt. Yep. But the Colts in general have playmakers underneath that the, that the Chargers lacked. Uh, last year, Rivers could only depend underneath on Eckler and Gordon once he joined the team. And nothing really more, especially with Hunter Henry missing a little bit of time. But Paris Campbell, remember, a 99th percentile spark athlete who, who was coming back fully healthy. And he dealt with four separate injuries last year that really just ruined his rookie year. Uh, you have Naheem Hines, if you choose to use him behind Marlon Mack. Jack Doyle, one of the safest vacuum and safety valves underneath. Um, and then T.Y. Hilton did suffer a career-low average depth of target with Jacoby Brissett last year. But T.Y. Hilton doesn't have to be a, a downfield threat. You can use him in that manner, as he showed last year and starting the year with 200-yard games before he also got injured. So I, I just think the offensive line, most importantly, and then the weapons around Rivers lead to a tremendous situation that the Colts can still draft Jordan Love and just have – or, or any rookie quarterback for that matter, and mm. have Rivers uh, uh, tutor him for one year and then get out of the way. Yeah, this was always the team we pointed to and said, if Rivers is going to go anywhere else and have more success than he will. Arguably the only team. Literally the only team against yeah. the Colts, and that's where he landed. And I think it is because of that offensive line, Quentin Nelson, those dudes, you know, really were just the force behind that team. Don't forget, they went into Kansas City with Jacoby Brissett Marlon Mack, and they got that W, you know, in a primetime game. And then pretty much half their kind of receiving weapons fell off the map and things just fell apart. I'm almost like I, I wish Jacoby got a little more of a chance. I, I would love to see Jacoby get one season where he knows he's a starter before late August or even early September hmm. that one year. I just feel like the things he hasn't done well, which is, you know, kind of decision make, quick decision making, uh, you know, he tends to run around a little bit, maybe take more sacks than he needs to. 
Phillip Rivers is going to take all those checkdowns and open intermediate throws that Jacoby probably doesn't force. But to me, that's something that quarterbacks learn more with experience. So even though Rivers is probably the better Colts QB option for 2020, I, I'm not giving up on Brissett as a long-term play just yet. And I think putting Rivers in for this one season, I question the ceiling. I question if it really is the best long-term decision for the Colts. I'm a little nervous too, because I mean, so much has been written about Tom Brady's quote unquote decline that I think it's been overlooked to me, at least how much of a Phillip Rivers decline we saw. Like he's always been this spot thrower and probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks of what the last 20 years because of it. Um, this awkward release that, I mean, he's an anticipation thrower. I just feel like, and I've said this quite a bit, I don't know if he knew where the ball was going to land last year when he threw it. And you go, and I understand Daigle that underneath options might improve now with the Colts, possibly, but like you're not going to have a Keenan Allen and, and a Mike Williams to, and I, I think obviously T.Y. Hilton is fantastic, but I, I, there's an argument to be made that his, his options get worse in the passing game. Now his offensive line, obviously, considerably upgrades and if they keep him clean Philip Rivers can definitely be the type of quarterback to to dice up a defense but I'm a little nervous that this isn't going to work out quite as well as Tom Brady obviously moving to the Bucs uh I wouldn't even say it's an argument like the talent is worse offensively in Indy but better offensive line as a whole and I trust the playmaking and grade it well over Anthony Lynn um, or the play calling. Hmm. So that's why I'm not really worried about the the talent drop-off because I think the pieces seamlessly transition into what Phillip Rivers does well this year. Ian, if there was one player that benefits most from the Phillip Rivers addition to Indianapolis, who is it? Mike Williams. <laughs> Let's say on the Colts. Is it Naeem Hines? Is it Marlon Mack? Jack is Jack Doyle. It- Oh, interesting. I, just, I mean, we've talked about the Antonio Gates and the Hunter Henry connection all these years. And whenever Rivers has, has had that tight end, you know, he's fed him. And Doyle now with Ebron gone, he can actually take that full-time tight end role. You know, we'll, we'll hear the training training camp, Mo Ali Cox rumors as we do every single year. But no, I mean, Doyle, the last time before Ebron got to town, he was the PPR tight end seven in yep. 2017 with Jacoby Brissett. And now by, I think, anyone's estimation he has a better tight end uh, throwing quarterback in the summer i just i I really want to see paris campbell though like yeah we forget how explosive and how exciting it was 43140 like i already said uh 94th percentile spark athlete but he had four different injuries including a broken foot mid-season um he's just a shallow in his rookie year eight average depth of target meshes so well with philip rivers throwing underneath just to get him the ball underneath i think is a a massive help that, that's an idea for one of these Tuesday drafts is like the second year players that we've all forgotten about that could really blow up in mm-hmm. the future. That's what we need to do in the near future. By the way, the world is a crazy place right now, but this Colt story in the last 250 days or so is wild. When you think about how this time last year, we knew Andrew Luck was obviously coming back from injury and everyone was expecting him to be the starter in 2019, 2020, to that third preseason game, everything that went down, Jacoby Brissett playing well in those first eight games, to now obviously them having another starting quarterback in Phillip Rivers. Um, things change quite quickly across the league. All right, Ian Harditz, you have two picks in a row. Kick us off with one. So one of them is a group of picks, and I'm not sure how this could work out, but I appreciate the Jets trying to make all sorts of changes to what was clearly 
one of the worst offensive lines in the league. They've added Seahawks tackle George Fant, Panthers guard Greg, Greg Van Roten, Broncos guard center Connor McGovern. They re-signed Alex Lewis. Josh Andrews is in there. I mean, look, last year wasn't all perfect for him. They had uh, Chuma Doga, their third-round offensive tackle. He missed eight games. They had uh, the center they brought out of retirement just looked like he was still retired. Not good. Only the Steelers averaged 1.4 also yards before contact per rush, and only Daniel Jones was pressured as much as Sam Darnold. Run blocking, pass blocking. I know pressure and sacks are more of a QB stat in the offensive line, but very few things to indicate this offensive line was anything other than just complete garbage last season. And, you know, I think the offensive line, like defense, can sometimes be a positional unit that you can't help in free agency. We saw the Bills. Uh, do this last season where you throw a lot of resources at it and hopefully some of them stick. They're doing something and they need to do something, especially since they didn't really manage to add more receiving talent at Darnold's uh, disposal. Maybe Chris Herndon comes back healthier this time around, but you know, switching Robbie Anderson for Rashad Perryman doesn't do a whole lot for me. I think the offense in general, but look, it's a team. Sam Darnold's still 22 years old. He's guys still young as hell. And last season, for what it's worth, it might have been the flukiest 6-2 finish we've seen, but they did really start to come on at the end of the year. Their wins were against the Giants, Redskins, Raiders, Dolphins, Steelers, and they had a loss to the Bengals thrown in there. So I don't want to take too much away from the end of the season run. But we have seen flashes of confidence from Darnold through these two years. Now maybe, maybe, maybe he has a decent offensive line to play behind. I think it's very similar to what the Bills did last year. And I think it's great that you pointed that out because last year on the Bills, you had Quentin Spain, Mitch Morris, John Feliciano. You took Cody Ford in the second round. Ty Nasecki was also a free agent. Like they just threw so many darts and hopefully tried to find like a a group of five that could work together. And I'm with you, Ian. Like you can get away with average talents if they stay healthy and they operate together for like a 16 to 17 game window, um, that's the biggest determining factor for me in so many offenses as we reach the playoffs is just offensive line cohesion and health. And that's sometimes something we obviously cannot predict. I mean, so much of that is luck. So while none of these names and obviously George Fan at left tackle was basically just like a, a bulky tight end in the Seahawks offense, like a, a swing tackle, Maybe as a group, Daigle, they can work together. But is that enough? Is that enough with Adam Gase as a play caller? I don't know if we sh- he showed enough last year to make us as optimistic as we were exiting last preseason with the New York Jets. Uh, simply put, he did not show us enough. But like you said, Buffalo and Atlanta last year, it's at the very least a concerted effort, which I've, I've enjoyed the past two or three seasons. These teams going all in on just adding bulk at a position they know is their weakness. Uh, the Jets last year finished only ahead of the Dolphins in adjusted line yards. The Jets finished only ahead of the Dolphins and Redskins in adjusted sack rate. Like it was clearly their lone weakness outside of just injuries, random injuries occurring throughout the year on offense. Uh, so to see Le'Veon Bell in particular, and now Sam Darnold, potentially get time. Like Le'Veon Bell only averaged a yard before contact last year. Literally got the ball and just got his helmet stuffed the moment he touched it. And so to see him now get time and still be used as a 280 touch back, I'm interested. At the very least, you have piqued my interest. Um, This Jets team obviously would make a big statement if they go and select a wide receiver in the first round because I, I think they need it. But this has really been two straight off seasons that they really haven't added 
I would say, a true difference maker on either side of the ball. I know Daigle mentioned Le'Veon Bell, but Le'Veon Bell is is very connected to his offensive line blocking, as we've seen. And that's the case with basically any running back in the league. C.J. Mosey's obviously a major contract, yet he was off injured last year. So, Ian, how this team has had massive cap space, especially this year, and they haven't been able to pull in and reel in a big-time free agent. Do you think that's the plan, or do you think that's just the inevitability of what the Jets are right now? I mean, you know, they, I think they tried. Like, they had the Anthony Barr, that weird situation last right. offseason kind of go through. But I think, look, they're they're trying to build around their young guys, I think, generally. I mean, Sam Darnold needs to be the face of the offense, and Jamal Adams already is the face of the defense. So, yeah, they. I would love to see him get into Clowney sweepstakes, perhaps. I mean, that'd be a huge addition uh, to their defensive front. But, yeah, I'm not sure if it's their plan. It's been hard to tell with this Adam Gase kind of team since he got there and even before he got there if the Jets are – going by a plan or not so uh short answer to your question I don't know what they're doing but I, I do think that they I wouldn't say they're against adding high price additions in the future we're hitting the turn now Ian Hart it's you're back up on the board it's not a top 10 greatest move of free agency but I really like it so I'm going to talk about it and that's that the works. Packers that's the Packers getting Devin Funches one year 2.5 million deal this is one season after he went to the Colts for 13 million what do you do for the Colts last season he broke his clavicle after dragging a defender like an extra four yards to pick up a first down on a fourth down in week one. That's all we saw from Devin Funches. And before that, we have a guy who is still just 25 years old. He averaged four catches, 50 yards, 0.5 touchdowns, and 15 career games without Greg Olson. And, you know, everyone out there that likes to say that Cam Newton's just been this washed quarterback for years, which he hasn't been. But if you want to hang your hat on that, then what's that say about Funches? I mean, he hasn't really had a chance to be a number one or even number two most of the time, target in kind of a, as functional offense as Green Bay. I don't know if he's going to be great, but he's, again, he's still so young. He, he's, he's gets some unfair, like people are going to say, oh, Packers, Rodgers can't throw to tight ends and kind of use that to mock bunches. The guy ran a four four eight at Michigan's Pro Day. He's not Kelvin Benjamin, even though they kind of looked alike when they stood next to each other for a couple years. So, again, bunches, as you're paying $13 million for the guy, Probably not. Hasn't proved enough. But only 2.5 on a depth chart where Alan freaking Lazard is our, you know, number two. Nothing against Lazard, but yes, let's take some shots on guys. And even if you do want to say that he's more of a tight end at this point in his career, which I disagree with, he's better than Jimmy Graham. So for me, it was a very low risk and potentially decent reward signing for Green Bay. Being the Panthers insider, Josh probably knows more about this than we do. <laughs> but I will say, like, I've been a big fan since he came out of Michigan. He just really got an unfair rep. It's kind of like how Mitchell Trubisky should have been drafted in the fourth round and not the first, whereas uh, Devin Funches was drafted in the second round by the Panthers sheerly on raw athleticism and hoped he would develop, and he's still developing. Um, the ceiling is still the limit. Like, he hasn't pieced it together, obviously, but I'm still a big fan if only because he's a 6'4", 230 athlete being used at receiver who just hasn't stayed healthy and hasn't pieced it all together josh to the insider let's hear more i mean this is going to be three for three because low-key i really enjoyed and liked this move i just been fearful of putting that out on twitter because i didn't want to be roasted by the entire internet and you know that's always the case whenever you talk about devin funches and now because he missed because of injury this is a great value and this entire conversation around devin funches you know now he's a tight end or needs a move to tight end just get over yourself just stop it. It's a waste of words because Devin Funches has not been a tight end since, like, I believe his freshman year at Michigan. 
Now, where he does succeed, I think, and where he's going to be highly valuable with the Packers is in the slot. And as a big slot who can outbody defensive backs, who can work across the formation, there's a reason why Geronimo Allison is no longer on this team. And Geronimo Allison signed, I think, with the Detroit Lions. This team needs a slot receiver. And Devin Funches, at a one-year, $2.5 million shot, he's well worth it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But from a team that has not added passing weapons and pass catchers around Aaron Rodgers, Ian, I'm with you. This could be a really, really good value play. It could also be just a complete waste of time that we spent the last seven minutes on. Yeah, we all want Robbie Anderson to end up there. And Funches, for the price adjustment, I think is a very good uh, replacement for them to get. But yeah, I, there's definitely a decent chance that this conversation ends up being, you know, 2019 Dante Moncrief in Pittsburgh. I'm interested to see who they add on day one and day two because they're clearly not done after whiffing on Austin Hooper. We said that last year though, Daigle. We said that last year. They cannot go in with only Devin Funches as their offensive addition after coming out and entering the offseason, like knowing they need to surround themselves with more playmakers. This isn't an addition by subtraction just getting rid of Jimmy Graham. Like, yes, that was a plus, but you don't throw in Jay Sternberger, who I'm still a big fan of, as like your every down tight end and then surround yourself with the same guys essentially plus Devin Funches as the answer to offensive woes. I'm with you. We we said the same thing last year though. Uh, I'll put it from this perspective though. Um, this the 2019 offseason I should say the Packers were so invested in the defensive side of the ball right they went out and signed Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith and Adrian Amos and I mean they were they wanted to improve that defense. So I think at least from my seat wanted them and thought that they might do the same thing with the offensive side of the ball this year. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. So I don't know. I I think we can say that, yes, the clear need is still at wide receiver, Daigle. I'm just wondering if it actually comes into fruition because we said the exact same thing last year too. Then load up on Lazard. That's all you got to do then. I'm curious to see what happens with Sternberg because they haven't addressed that position. I'm kind of happy they didn't give out yet another high price, you know, free agency, tight end contract, as we've seen those not go too well for Green Bay over the years. But someone other than Devontae at some point in one of these years needs to step up. There's at least a chance it could be punches. All right. We are through seven selections. John Daigle, this is your last individual pick. Go ahead. The Colts traded for DeForest Buckner, Hmm. play ahead of all pro Darius Leonard. And it is very high on my list. 28 and a half sacks in the last four years for Buckner, uh, who is arguably a top five interior lineman. I talked highly of DJ Reader on the last podcast, but whereas Buckner is also just a run stuffer, he's also a just a perennial threat pass rush as well. Um, 19 and a half sacks in the past two years, including two and a half in last year's playoffs and one and a half in the Super Bowl. And just the fact that the Colts have been on an, what seemed a perpetual search for a, a run-stuffing defensive tackle, and then they just finally went out and got one and paid him only behind Aaron Darnold as the second-highest-paid defensive tackle. Um, it was a rare win-win, in my opinion, because the 49ers just couldn't keep him after re-signing Eric Armstead. They had a choice, and the Colts jumped in and bit at the opportunity, and uh, I think it was a great deal. Win-win is a good designation for it because I think the 49ers side of this equation could get nominated as well. Mm -hmm. Like they understood that in future years, you can't keep both Ark Armstead and DeForest Buckner. So now when, you know, the evaluation is its hottest in DeForest Buckner coming off the Super Bowl, 
caliber season coming off a fantastic year, not just as a run defender, but obviously as a pass rusher as well. Why not get a top 20 draft selection for him? Why not punt, you know, whatever one year you have left with him and reinvest that immediately into the future. And they can absolutely do that with the top 15 pick they they got this year. Ian. Yeah, I'm all for it too. They added that, you know, I still hold out some hope for Malik Hooker eventually becoming uh, one of those game changers at safety. Just staying healthy. Yeah, just obviously Darius Leonard is already there, one of the best off-ball linebackers in the entire league. Now you got Buckner. So you can – I mean, that's one of the strongest kind of one, two, three punches up the middle of any defense I think we're going to see in the league. And the Colts just needed to add a difference maker like this. They didn't have any clear just massive holes in the runner pass defense last year. They just weren't all that great in either. And now you add a guy that can be great against both pass and the run I mean I wouldn't be shocked if the Colts could make a leap into being you know a top 10 or 12 defense next season we, we just had that conversation about the Jets and them kind of like slow playing for agency somewhat especially this year the Colts have been doing that for a few years you know Chris Ballard took a very methodical approach to off seasons and that really came to a stop this year and I think he's going all in in 2020 and it makes sense I mean we, we obviously spend a lot of time in Phillip Rivers, now in DeForest Buckner. Even adding someone like Xavier Rhodes as, as a shot of someone on the outside that maybe can still have something left, that speaks volumes to me, Daigle, of the Colts really believing that this is their window to win right now. Totally agree. And like I said, I, I still believe it's essentially only a one-year deal for Rivers, yeah. uh, for better or worse. And like this is a small window with the pieces in place. Hmm. Okay, my last pick individually is going since again, these are just our favorite off season moves with that caveat. Mm-hmm. Joe Brady being hired as offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. I'm counting that as a, as a move. Okay. Um, look, I've been critical of the Panthers often this off season. And a big part of that is just their, their plan for the long term. but hiring Joe Brady to call plays should turn out to be excellent. I mean, his entire offensive plan is to create route concepts that create space for wide receivers and then to allow them to win after the catch. Well, the group of receivers and pass catchers that you have in that team right now, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and Curtis Samuel, who went after the catch, plus Robbie Anderson to just lift everything forward. I mean, and you go back and watch Joe Brady, who's like your age and my age, John Daigle, which is wild to think about, um, during his time at LSU and coming from the New Orleans Saints, you know, the Saints offense is really built on that quick game with three wide receiver sets. But out of that quick game, when you get defenses looking into the backfield, then you have three vertical routes that attack all three levels and three separate distinctions of a defense, plus one underneath route that can also be open. Like, I think Joe Brady can bring to Carolina what Kyle Shanahan brought to San Francisco. I know that's the name that everyone wants to bring up right now, but it's true. And just think about with Jimmy Garoppolo hitting those open receivers in the middle of the field in the short areas and then launching that one deep shot. Maybe, maybe Ian, Teddy can do the same thing with the weapons that he has afforded in this Carolina offense. And I bet that that's what they're banking on with that sign. Yeah, you know, I've I've called Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Checkdown more than anyone. I mean, it's fun to make fun of him for that, definitely. But that's also just something the Saints have done for decades. I mean, Breeze, the first season he got to New Orleans, he ranked 35th in deep ball rate. Last season, he ranked 35th in deep ball rate. The offense doesn't throw downfield because they have now, especially Kamara and Michael Thomas. So 
I don't think Bridgewater is, you know, Patrick Mahomes ask as a deep ball pass or anything like that. But there's nothing saying he can't hit open guys downfield when they're schemed open, as you're saying, and they are kind of taking design shot plays. You know, same thing with Breeze, even though he doesn't throw downfield, when he does, it can be with efficiency. All the moves have been good for Carolina. I think we always have to look at everything also from a fantasy perspective. And that's kind of the Robbie Anderson signing. Great. You add that guy to any offense in the league. And I firmly believe that's going to be a better offense. But you also add a guy, you know, for the amount of money they're giving him, I'm assuming he's getting 60, 70 at a minimum targets. And when you have McCaffrey being the biggest target hog the running back position's ever seen, DJ Moore deserves to have, you know, 120 plus targets. It's very tough for the Curtis Samuels, Robbie Andersons, even the Ian Thomases of this offense to kind of try to project what their targets are going to look like. But in terms of an on-field, you know, just set-up skill position players, yeah, there's a lot of good things to like there. And the fact he is, Teddy Checkdown, that actually benefits this offense, like Josh said, given the playmakers that fit seamlessly with him. Uh, it's going to lead to a lot of ugly fantasy blow-up spots, honestly, which is why Teddy Bridgewater is kind of trending towards a top 25 quarterback option right now because this defense only got worse. Like, we're already the league's worst rush defense, and they only got worse than losing uh, and Poe and McCoy, just to name a few in the middle, not to mention Bradbury in the secondary. Yeah. Like, there are going to be nothing but shootouts, and they have the playmakers in place for shootouts. And Teddy Bridgewater, at the very least, will complete passes – because he's not going to throw deep. So it's going to lead to just a ton of offensive plays. All right, I'm going to make this bet to both you, Daigle, and to you, Ian. I bet we see the best vertical passing season of Teddy Bridgewater's career this year. Interesting. Well, considering that he's never had a vertical passing season, then sure. Why well, the best one, though. I mean, okay. you're only comparing Teddy the to Teddy The best is the right only now. one, yeah. The best, the best of his career. Ian. Oh, really, really going out of limb there. John. I'm just saying. He wow. throws three passes and it's the best of his career. I, I actually spent this morning watching a lot of, of LSU concepts and just like the way he's able to flood coverages and no matter if it's two safety looks or a single hide and underneath and then just getting one-on-one matchups and crossing routes underneath. Uh, I got very excited watching Joe Brady's stuff this morning. All right. Will, so, oh, hold on, ahead. hold on real quick. I will say with Bridgewater, I mean, let's not remember. I mean, let's remember that this guy, one of the worst and lower body injuries that really anyone's ever seen. And he gets pretty much thrown to the fire last year, week two in Seattle. That didn't work out. Has the Dallas game where he couldn't really move the offense. After that though, Buccaneers, Jaguars, and Bears, he was actually pretty damn good in all those starts. It would make sense if a guy like Bridgewater, I'd even put the same kind of injury, give him a little bit more of a chance to Jimmy Garoppolo, who was obviously coming off the torn ACL last season. Like when these guys have these injuries, like, I, I, you can see why they get rid of the ball quicker. I'm more interested to see what they do next year uh, before, you know, we're really ready to kind of anoint them as what they were in 2019. Yeah. Look, I might've got my feelings a little bit when like the whole Cam Newton moving on thing happened. But like the longer I think about it, if the plan is to be competitive this year in Carolina, I'm not saying like, I think that's the best plan. Then this move to Teddy, I'm becoming more and more optimistic with it because if a play caller, like we keep saying, create space, especially in the middle of the field on those primary secondary reads, I think Teddy has plenty of talent and enough talent to maximize that. And I think that that's what they're hoping on. That's what they're banking on. So, Can we also do lightning round honorable mentions before we recap? Okay. We're doing this on the fly, but we still have a 10th that we need to figure oh, out. Oh, do we? Okay. So why don't we each nominate one and then have like one or two sentences and then we will have a vote you can't vote for your own. 
And then that's who gets the 10th one. How about that? Should we do that for Deal. the 10th spot? Sure. Okay. Deal. Ian, give us one and then two sentences as to why. Manuel Sanders got a two-year deal up to 19 million with the Saints. Now we're looking at top four options in New Orleans of Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Jared Cook, and Manny Sanders. When we've seen the Saints kind of have trouble in the playoff, it's usually been when kind of defenses can just put all their resources to Thomas and Kamara. It's going to be a lot harder to do that now with Manny Sanders. A very good offense got better. I said two sentences, not two paragraphs, but that's noted. Um, John Daigle, what's your nomination? Eagles trade for Darius Slay, which could also be coupled in with Eagles signed Javon Hargrave. But either way, the moral of the story is they added to an already good defense, making it that much better. My nomination will be, be the Seattle Seahawks acquiring Quentin Dunbar from the Redskins for a fifth-round mm-hmm. selection. I mean, this follows on the heels of the Seahawks last year getting Quandre Diggs, who was maybe their best defensive player other than Clowney last year for a fifth-rounder as well. Um, Dunbar goes to a secondary with Shaq Griffin uh, and Quandre Diggs and Marquise Blair that I think is probably the closest Seattle has gotten to that Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Brandon Browner days of that secondary. And we know that defense has really tailed off since that time. All right. Those are the three nominations in who has your vote. I'm going with the Dunbar call. That's, that's a good one. I mean, yeah. Only, only, only quarterback PFF grade higher than Dunbar last year was Richard Sherman. It's a perfect scheme transition. Daigle, your vote? Uh, yeah, I'm going Dunbar as well. well I won't if, tell I, you- if only because, like, Emmanuel Sanders, like, it's an addition – but only because he's better than Keith Kirkwood. I was actually going to go with Emmanuel Sanders, not to throw you under the bus here, Daigle. Uh, because um, this, to me, like the, the Saints have been basically one play away for multiple seasons. I mean, you think back to last year, it was that no call against Kyle Rudolph. That's a push off. The year before, it was a no call of pass interference of Nikhil Roby Coleman. The year before that, it was the Stefan Diggs Minneapolis miracle, right? So this team has been like that one piece away, and we've seen them try to add that in Marcus Davenport, try to add that in Jared Cook, and both have been valuable pieces. And now if there's ever going to be a, a second, quote-unquote, wide receiver that emerges in the Saints offense, I think it can be Emmanuel Sanders. But well, that, Col- makes it, that makes well, it Colgan 10 can't leg drop Emmanuel Sanders. It's just facts. <laughs> Okay, these are our 10, and then we'll close with some honorable mentions because I have a few more written down as well. All right, Dante Fowler to the NFL Falcons, Tom Brady to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, DeAndre Hopkins to the Arizona Cardinals, the Buffalo Bills acquiring mm-hmm. Stephon Diggs, Phillip Rivers on his farewell tour with the Indianapolis Colts, the Jets just adding 100 bodies to their offensive line in the hopes of it improving, Devin Funches and the shot, cheap shot, that the Packers are taking on him. I thought you were going to say a hard round the world. I was like, not really. <laughs> in Madison. DeForest Buckner and the Indianapolis Colts, alongside, I would even throw out the 49ers getting a first-round pick for him. Uh, Joe Brady to the Carolina Panthers. And at number 10, Quentin Dunbar being traded to the Seattle Seahawks. Ian, any closing honorable mentions from you? Uh, Raiders getting former Rams linebacker Corey Littleton. I think just helps. He can do all, everything you want a linebacker to do. Chargers getting Chris Harris, arguably one of the best secondaries in the league now, including safety and cornerbacks. And finally, I really like Eric Ebron to the Steelers. The guy is one season away from scoring 13 touchdowns. 
the amount of nice things we've said about Ladarius Green, some of these random athletic tight ends that go to <laughs> what Pittsburgh. What a name! What a name! What a name! And maybe you know, it would not shock me if Ebron has double-digit touchdowns in twenty twenty. Dagle. I would add Nick Kwiatkowski to that Corey Littleton signing for the Raiders to play inside of Max Crosby and Cleveland Farrell. Uh, Dolphins obviously adding Byron Jones across from uh, Xavier Howard. Broncos trading just a seventh rounder for Jarrell Casey following a down year. And the Chargers allowing Melvin Gordon to sign elsewhere. I'll throw one final one at you. And it's the Baltimore Ravens receiving a second round pick in exchange for Hayden Hurst. Um, Hayden Hurst last year, 39 targets, 30 receptions, 349 yards, and two touchdowns. Basically, that makes a talent like Hayden Hurst replaceable um, on an offense in the Ravens that are barely losing anything on either side of the ball. Now you have the Ravens, which is their window to win, with five picks in the top three rounds. Pick 28, 55, 60, 92, 106. An attempt to reload with Marshall Yonda retiring and maybe filling in for someone like Hayden Hurst and replacing that level of talent. I love the Ravens still acquiring more picks, even though that they are in their chance to win the title right now. And I wouldn't say it's like a a win-win, but just Hurst fitting in with the Falcons as a Hooper replacement, like there's an argument to be made as a full-time player, Hurst may be better than Austin Hooper. Okay, now it's, it's, it's not even close. It's, it's early. Himself. It's early enough to question. It's not. It's not a like a sure thing just yet. But it's early enough to question. He's a number twenty-five overall, but set records at South Carolina as a receiving threat. Like it's that's only two years from now. Okay, he's, uh, he's old. Josh, get over it. You're no, old. I, <laughs> you hate when I call you young, so you can't call me old, Ian. Um, I, okay. I understand if you just want to look at the talent that is Hayden Hurst, but giving up a second round pick to get Hayden Hurst is a, is a poor move. That's a poor franchise decision. So that, good that's, fantasy, bad that's caked GM. into it for me. Just like so. Melvin Gordon, uh, bad GM, good fantasy. Uh, I still like the Melvin Gordon move. But You're old. That's fine. <laughs> All right. That is going to do it for us. Maybe we do like top 10 drafts the rest of the way on these Tuesdays. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> we got nothing but time. So why we, got, not? we got nothing but time. Um, I will be back later this week with a draft focused podcast along with news with Patrick Doherty. So be on the lookout for that. Also, my team needs series with John Daigle and Ian Harditz and Nick Minzio starts up next week and goes into the week after that. So it's be next on the week? series. Jesus. It starts next week. I thought that's what you're referring to at the top. Uh, but yes, that's Tim need, team needs and a mock draft for every single division out there i also posted my top 50 mock drafts as well so if you like ian prospects go and check that out yeah ian plug your stuff while we're here oh yeah what have i been writing lately uh you, on, did, I, you did something i looked up and it's like wide receiver kings year to year yeah i, I wrote a cool article yesterday about the nfl's wide receiver king by season you know all the Randy Moss kind of Jerry Rice debates on Twitter has got me thinking. Marvin Harrison just has some ridiculous stat lines in the early 2000s. So if you want to reminisce, check that out. And I'll have an article out today. Talked about something on the podcast about how Drew Brees and the Saints just haven't had to throw down field over the last decade and a half. And it doesn't matter because throwing down fields overrated. So keep an eye out for those. And Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be going live on the Roto World Twitch for a live best ball draft. Uh, I will flip my screen around so we can draft together, and I will be answering questions in between for however long it takes. And 7 p.m. Eastern is early enough to a happy hour. So join me for the Fetus Football Happy Hour. Some wine, some French white wine from Provence, hopefully, Daigle. A lot of chilled white wine in my fridge right now. It's being used. Yeah, my, my wine fridge is less than six feet. 
Um, social distancing is not long enough or the gap is not wide enough between me and my wine fridge. So that's a bit dangerous right now. Mm -hmm. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thanks everyone out there for listening. Thanks to producer Chris for setting this up on this call. We'll be back again Thursday night slash Friday morning with another episode. Talk to y'all then up the villa. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.